Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick and thank you for joining me for this podcast. One of the interesting areas of regulation is that of self-managed super funds and particularly the space in which uh, auditors operate. Now, for some of you might think of audit as being uh, a little uh, sleep-inducing, but it isn't. It's an important area of uh, our regulatory framework and one that needs greater examination, but it sadly doesn't get enough examination in in the press, except when there's a lot of lot of problems kicking around. Uh, what I want to do today for you is talk about self-managed super funds and what people who are auditing them need to be doing. And I've got a couple of experts to help me have that conversation. One of the senior uh, project um, managers from the Auditing and Assurance Standards Board, Marina Michelides, joins me, as well as Kelly Grant from the Australian Taxation Office. And along with their help, we'll be able to go through uh, what SMSF auditing is all about, what guidance exists, and what the role of the Australian Taxation Office is. Uh, Kelly and Marina, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Absolute pleasure. Now, Marina, if I could turn to you first. Um, Not so long ago, the Auditing and Insurance Standards Board issued a revision or a revised version of um, a guidance statement uh, on the auditing of self-managed super funds. Um, What is this creature? Well, it's it's quite unique, Tom. yeah, GS009, I guess, came about um, because there was some concern in the market um, of the quality of the um, of the SMS audits being undertaken and also um, the growing number of SMSF audits being undertaken. So that was its original premise. Um, I guess this document um, is, is in the market to assist SMSF auditors in fulfilling their obligations in undertaking both the financial audit and the compliance audit. Um, The guidance statement has been developed to identify and clarify and summarise existing responsibilities which the auditor has with respect to conducting these audits and to provide guidance to the auditor on matters um, which the auditor needs to consider when planning and conducting and reporting on an SMSF um, financial audit or compliance engagement. so the guidance statement has a lot of reference points, obviously being the AUASB audit standards, relevant guidance, um, legislation, regulation and other authority publications from both the ATO ASIC um, primarily. Um, generally, our guidance statements are not aimed at providing um, guidance on all aspects of an audit or other assurance engagement. However, this is where GS009 is somewhat different. Um, it does cover most aspects of an audit engagement from the initial engagement, planning activities, to gathering audit evidence and conducting the engagement and right through to the reporting. So it's quite a one-stop shop. Now, the, the listeners won't necessarily understand and In fact, I came across examples of accounting professionals when I worked in a professional accounting body uh, some uh, some years ago, who don't quite understand what the authority of this particular document is. Can you explain that to people? Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, so the 
Auditing and Assurance Standards Board um, gets its authority from the um, ASIC Act. So under that, our mandate allows us to issue guidance um, for the purposes of understanding audit and assurance matters. Um, so, so we have, that's where the authority for the for actual issuing this document comes from. Um, uh, and the guidance statement, as I said, is, is to assist the auditor to fulfil its objectives and of the audit and of the audit um, under the CISA and CISRA. Um, so, so it sits, I guess, within our assurance framework and has authority through the ASIC Act. What we what we generally say, because this is guidance, it doesn't set additional requirements um, for the auditors. It is it is tries to uh, explain and give practical guidance of how to interpret the requirements that sit within standards. However, the AOSB obviously um, put these guidance statements out as and highly recommend that practitioners in these fields adopt them um, for one of a better terminology for best practice. So in general terms, it doesn't replace auditing standards. It merely clarifies what their requirements are in the specific purpose of uh, SMSF audits. That's correct. They're trying to put an overlay of a practical application, what's happening in practice and how we can best interpret um, you know, the requirements of the standards um, and, and to give practical examples, which is what we've tried to do in this revision. Now, there are, uh, having looked at the document in the past and, in fact, used it in classrooms when I've taught auditing and insurance, I've appointed people to the various uh, I guess, special features of the document, one of which is looking at the type of evidence in order to may need to properly do the audit of an SMSF, uh, on, on, in, irrespective of what the assets are that, that a fund may have. Those tables and checklists are still there, aren't they? Yes, so... Um... Yeah, one of the get yeah, that there's a number of key features of the document, um, sort of in four parts. Uh, there's an introductory section which provides guidance on matters common to both the financial audit and compliance audit, like planning, risk assessment, audit evidence and documentation, and the use of service orts. Then we go into the part A, which provides um, guidance on the financial audit, um, looking at the major accounts in the financial statements and the assertions. Um, against those accounts and how, how the auditor might, might go about gathering evidence in those areas. Part B, um, which looks again at the guidance on the compliance engagements and goes through those compliance matters and areas um, and the criteria for the compliance requirements set out by the ATO. And as you've, as you've noted, Tom, um, a very valuable part of the guidance dam is the appendices, which provides sample templates and checklists um, uh, on things such as the engagement letter and the trustee representation letter um, and some practical checklists on um, fund governing rules and the preliminary understanding required there and some illustrative financial audit procedures as well. 
it, it's actually a, a very valuable document. No, no document like this is able to be put together without uh, input from various stakeholder groups. Now, in a sense, GS009, the guidance statement itself, is the sausage. How does it get put through the sausage machine? Yes, well, we have a, yeah, a fairly um, formal sort of process that for sort of large, um, complex sort of subject matters, uh, we generally have um, an appointed project advisory group um, which draws out um, expertise and wide, wide range of views from stakeholders to ensure that any revision is, I guess, um, balanced with current practice um, and any other legislative requirements that need to be updated. So, so just going back one step with the um, with the GS009 revision, the AOASB also received um, two submissions: one from CPA, CAANZ, and the other from the ATO back in February 2019, recommending that GS009 be revised and and providing reasons for this, primarily to do with legislative updates. Um, case law that have, that have come out um, and other updates to our standards, including um, updates to the ethics and independence requirements. Um, and so they put the ATO and the CPACANZ put together um, uh, yeah, their submissions and we received those and they strongly suggested that a revision was required and, and that the AOASB that revision on their work plan for 2019-2020. So that occurred and then um, towards the end of 2019 we set up uh, what would be called a more of an informal working group made up of those key stakeholders being the ATO, CPA, CANZ, um, ourselves and also we had a um, an SMSF auditor um, contractor uh, who also, Kim Bailey, who also helped us on the revision of the GS. So that was formed in the latter part of 2019. And that working group um, was then used to progress the revisions um, of the guidance and provide detailed feedback and um, to get those revisions to the board to, um, to get uh, the final document approved in June this year. It's a fairly extensive process now for those listening. Um, for, for my sins uh, in a previous life, I was actually part of a project advisory group looking at the document and it, it, it is a lengthy process. You see revisions, you see a lot of things as things progress. So it's a document that's put together with a lot of thought, engagement with regulators and others. If I can turn to Kelly, who sits on the other end of the table of all of this, um, sitting at the Australian Taxation Office. Now, Kelly, what is the role the ATO plays in the SMSF space? Um, well, Tom, under, under the super laws... Um, the ATO and ASIC are co-regulators, so self-managed super fund auditors. Now, as you might know, ASIC is responsible for registering and deregistering auditors. They they also employ enforcement actions, um, you know, as a, as a result of many referrals of auditors we make to them. They'll also set the competency standards for auditors, um, you know, which consists of them having to apply with assurance and engagement standards and the independence requirements and CPD and professional indemnity requirements. 
Now, the ATO, on the other hand, uh, is responsible for monitoring an auditor's compliance with those competency standards and some of those legislative requirements. So where we find auditors, um, you know, through doing some of our field work, we'll go out and visit, visit auditors' premises, where we find they're not, you know, fit and proper or fail to carry out a proper and adequate audit, we'll, we'll, refer, we'll refer them to ASIC, um, who will decide what sort of action to apply. So given we actually monitor to compliance, uh, we, we worked with the AUASB on updating GS009, you know, basically to ensure that the, the content was up to date and it was clear for auditors to follow um, so they can be fully aware of, of how to, to meet their obligations. Now, the ATO sits in a unique kind of situation, doesn't it? Because you're... Um, engaging with uh, that the CIS Act and also aspects of audit, but you don't technically regulate the auditor per se. Um, what happens when you get an auditor's report lodged with the ATO in relation to an SMSF? Well, when the auditor lodges, um, well, they don't actually lodge the self-managed super fund um, audit report that they that they do um, with us, Tom. So, un- under the super laws, of course, they're required to conduct that financial audit and and that compliance audit on the fund each year, um, and they're required to uh, look at whether they should sort of modify their opinion in relation to any compliance breaches they pick up in relation to the fund. But they provide that report to the to the trustee once they've completed that audit report. What they are, however, required to, to do in relation um, to their, meet their reporting obligations in relation to the ATO is that if there are any uh, they identify any contraventions in the fund that actually meet our auditor contravention report uh, reporting criteria, um, you know, such as serious contraventions, such as when a trustee looks to um, illegally access money from their fund without meeting a condition of release, then they'll actually have to report that on the ACR and, and lodge that with us. Um, and um, they also, for all contraventions, they identify in the fund um, whether they have to be reported to us in the ACR um, or not. They, they will also have to advise the trustees um, about those. And it's interesting to note, Tom, that um, around we get around 2% of all self-managed super funds, so that's around 500 or 600,000 self-managed super funds uh, who have an ACR lodged. So we aren't finding orders have to lodge many ACRs. Most of the funds are doing the right thing. Um, and we also find that when those ACRs are lodged, um, around 50% of them um, have already rectified the breach in the fund, which is great to see. That's interesting. Now, if we go into the space of what happens when your uh, you find that there's an audit report that doesn't quite meet the standards you require. Um, what's the process once something uh, untoward is identified? Yes, yeah, so that's a good point. So we when we look to go and review an auditor, um, there, there's a number of um, I suppose 
you know, things that we pick up in our in our data sets that might indicate that they're a concern. Um, you know, one of which is that, um, you know, we might find when we do an audit on the fund that they should have reported a contravention to us that they they didn't. So we'll go out and review that auditor's files. We'll, we'll review around three to five files, Tom, um, when, when we do those reviews. And we want to basically see that the auditor um, has performed a you know a proper and adequate audit. That is that they've uh, complied with the auditing assurance standards um, and you know their reporting obligations. So we want to see that the auditor has an audit plan on their file. Um, we want to see trustee engagement letters and representation letters, uh, you know, all of which are required under the auditing standards. Um, we also want to see a copy of the audit report on the file along with signed financial statements. Um, we like to see a copy of the management letter. Um, we obviously want to see um, that, you know, they've obtained relevant evidence um, as well um, uh, that they've then used to support their opinion and that they've actually evaluated that that evidence. Yeah, from time to time, Kelly, I've also seen reference made in uh, media releases to concerns the ATO has had and I guess ASIC has had in relation to independence of uh, somebody conducting an SMSF audit. Uh, how often does it do you see independence issues arise? Yeah, we still see quite a few um, independence issues arise. Like, you know, we refer around sort of fifty orders to ASIC a year, and um, you know, I'd say almost half of those referrals um, still comprise independence breaches. Um, but what what we are starting to see less of, which is good, is some of those blatant independence breaches where the auditor is auditing their own fund or a relative's fund. <laughs> um, we still see the odd the auditor who's a sole practitioner, um, uh, and he's also like a, an, an accountant tax agent. We, we see them um, actually prepare the financial statements for the fund. Um, as well as audit um, the fund, um, and that's a clear independence breach. Um, but it might be worth mentioning, Tom, um, what what the ATO has um, recently sort of um, come down or, or, or communicated to industry as a result of the new independence guide that, that issued last month uh, in response to the restructured code that came into effect this year, that's ATS yeah. 110, is that we're now sort of looking at um, a learning industry to not being able to do in-house audits even when there's sort of more than two partners within the firm. So, you know, it used to be that that firms sort of thought with, with two or three partners or more could have these separate lines of reporting, you know, one one for the sort of accounting preparation and, and one for the audit and they That'd had these easy. sort of Chinese walls in place and... And now, yeah. it, you know, the, the new guide pretty much says that um, uh, that's a, a, an independence breach unless there's, and there's, you know, routine or mechanical exceptions that can apply, but it's very difficult to apply those. It, 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 that will pose a challenge for some people uh, in the short to medium term when they understand what the revised code and the way it's interpreted. Um means, uh, because, correct me if I'm misinterpreting what you've said, in essence it's um, 
you're you're now at a situation where if the firm is doing uh, financial advice mm. in an SMSF and also doing the audit, they need to work out which one they want to do uh, and ditch the other. Yeah. Am that, I, am, am, have I got that correct? That's correct, yeah. A um, bit more than financial advice, but, yeah, actually preparing the fund's financial statements because it, it is also a breach if they, you know, if one partner provides financial advice and then someone else within the firm actually audit, audits that fund as well. But also in relation to providing the, the fund's accounts, um, yeah, there's there's very very limited exceptions that can apply at the moment. Um, you may have heard of that routine or mechanical exception um, that can apply, um, but the only problem there is that um, in order for that exception to apply, you basically have had to have had a trustee that has the requisite knowledge and skills um, and the ability to have uh, you know prepared sort of a, a trial balance and, and coded the funds transactions such that when the, the accountant comes to prepare those financial statements, they're exercising almost no judgment um, in preparing those. Uh, and even then you still yep. have to have safeguards in place, you know, like those separate lines of reporting. So it is a very difficult um, exception to make. It, it, I mean, there are issues in practice that crop up, of course. Um, for example, one that is clearly mechanical is when, an auditor prints up a set of financial statements uh, that have been audited. There's been no judgment uh, on the auditor's part. That is, the auditor hasn't assumed a role of management. Um, but the, the uh, and those accounts are printed up for the purposes of signing them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the examples you highlight it actually demand people to exercise judgment when they're undertaking that kind of work and that that, that falls out of the scope of, of the automatic or mechanical type work yes yeah that that that's correct um usually what happens too is the the auditor will you know that the tax agent will give the auditor the, the set of financial statements that have been prepared on, on behalf of the fund and, um, yeah, in, in that situation, as you said, if, if those financial statements um, have been prepared by the, the same firm that the auditor works for, for then, um, yeah, th there could be real independence breaches there. The, the interesting thing in all of this is um, once you find something, it, it, once there's a transgression that, that comes to your attention, um, what then, what happens then? How does the, how does that um, fact pattern work? ATO finds a problem. Um, ASIC is sort of, you know, the next port of call, isn't it? That's correct, Tom. So if we find there's some, you know, really serious deficiencies within that auditor's file, like across the three or five files that we look at, um, what we'll do is we'll look to refer them um, to ASIC for, for not, you know, conducting a, a proper and adequate audit um, under, the, under the legislation. And then ASIC will make a decision on what sort of, um, I suppose, enforcement action to take, you know, like if it's, if if there's really been quite serious deficiencies, then they might look to disqualify the auditor 
or if they feel that the order might be able to be remediated, you know, they might look to impose conditions such as sitting the ASIC exam or having some of their audits reviewed by an independent external reviewer. Um, yeah, so it, it really sort of just depends on how, how deficient that auditor's file is. Um, is there anything else that the, the ATO has on its radar at the moment? In terms of SMSFs, are there some? Are there any issues that uh, are on your that have hit list at the current time? Oh, for self-managed super funds in general, um, a big risk um, for us is always looking at some of those new funds that set up and uh, making sure that they're being set up for the right reason. Like we found that when COVID hit, we had a big spike in. Um, individuals looking to set up funds and we need to make sure that um, they're not looking to set them up and illegally early access them. So a lot of our resources go towards um, ensuring we have a secure front door, so to speak, and we have been able to save, um, you know, millions of dollars in in, in that sort of work. Um, look, with respect to some of the following up on some of the ACRs that funds have lodged on, Largely our um, audit work there has been uh, suspended at the moment due, due to the impacts of COVID. So uh, we're hoping to sort of recommence that work in uh, around sort of October, November this year. Um, but we also look at some of those top 100 funds, you know, those funds that have got more than $40 million in them and making sure that those sort of funds are taking advantage of the tax concessions that are being offered to them um, appropriately. Um, so, yes, that, that they're always under the spotlight a bit. Um, and, um, yeah, and, of course, um, some of the – we've got some new measures that, that, that might get up soon. I don't know if you've read in the paper, but um, one of the proposals before Parliament at the moment is – increasing you know self for membership from four members to six um so we're, we're watching that with a keen eye to see if that actually gets passed in this sitting um so yeah that's just some of the some of the broader issues um that that yeah. we're looking at uh, that'll certainly uh, increase the appeal of smsfs for some people if the numbers can numbers can be uh, increased under legislation. Uh, Marina, if I could bring you back, uh, one of the things about auditing and accounting, of course, is where in the heck people can find all of this wonderful information. Um, at GS009 is a, is a pronouncement of the audit board. Where uh, exactly um, can people get hold of a copy of this thing? Well, it's on our website, so um, auasb.gov.au and under our pronouncements um, there is a guidance statement tab and in there they're listed in number order. So um, it should be fairly easy to find. Um, and when we issued it back on the 20th of June, there was also a media release um, and a news item, so you may be able to find it that way. Okay, so that, that, that settles that. Now, Kelly, you, the ATO website's an interesting place to go. Um, I can sometimes get myself lost. Where can people find material to do with SMSFs on, on, on your site? What's the best way? Oh, look, the best way to go to do that is if you just um, type in our home address, ato.gov. 
um, au, then um, on, on the homepage you'll see a link to super. And then if you click on that link, you'll see self-managed super fund and self-managed super fund auditors. So um, there's a lot of really good information um, in there um, worth looking at. And I should just quickly say too that we are putting together some life cycle publications at the moment, which we hope to publish this year on, on the various phases of a, of a fund that we think will be extremely helpful for self-managed super fund trustees as, as well when they're up and running. That sounds pretty interesting. Um, and to think it's probably a good point at which to conclude uh, our conversation. Uh, I've been talking to Kelly Grant from the Australian Taxation Office and Marina Michalides from the Auditing and Assurance Standards Board about SMSFs and uh, SMSF guidance. Thank you both for joining me. Yeah, thank you, John. Thanks for that. And um, when the listeners stick around a bit because I'll have another podcast for you reasonably soon.